celebrate the release of our 100th episode, we're re-releasing our very first episode, so you can experience how the journey began. Recorded during the pandemic, this is rough and ready, as me and Will had no idea what we were doing. Check it out and see just how far MVM has come. Paltrow, Magnets and the Vietnam War. Welcome to the first episode of Marvel vs. Marvel, a podcast series that explores the MCU movies and compares them to the comic books that inspired them from way back in the 60s and the 70s. This is a podcast for fans of the movies, fans of the comics and just fans in general. You could be a lifelong comic book fan, you could have only just started to watch the movies or loved Infinity War. Um, and you can still find a lot of joy and a lot of knowledge and a lot of laughs in this podcast. Uh, we have one rule here on Marvel versus Marvel, which is no gatekeeping. Comic books and movies are there for everyone to enjoy. Uh, my name's Rob Holden. I am a comic book and Marvel comic fan of over 30 years. I grew up reading them. I was taught to read uh, by my parents, whiting out, tipexing out the uh, word balloons in Marvel Comics and uh, getting me to read simple words like dog uh, being said by Captain America. Um, and I've got that background and history of comic book stories with me. And my co-host on this journey is Mr. Will Preston. Will. Hello. Great to be here. And Will, you're, you're a big fan of the, um, the Marvel, the MCU movies, but you've never read a comic book. Uh, no, never read a Marvel comic book. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very bad, very lax with it, if you will. <laughs> I know, I know, but I feel I should be getting into the original source material. I'm a bit of a stickler for completionism. Well, that's kind of one of the issues, isn't it? Is that uh, it can be quite intimidating. If you're a fan of these cool movies or the cartoons or the TV shows, it can be intimidating and you can have a lot of problems from, unfortunately, my tribe, my people... <laughs> Comic book fans tend to be kind of really ostentatious and, and gatekeepers about it, um, which can be intimidating and a bit of an issue. And we don't want that, right? No, exactly. And I see gatekeeping in a lot of places. It's not cool. But yeah, we don't want that here. <laughs> so that's not what's going to happen here. What we're going to do is we've got Will. Uh, you've been re-watching the MCU movies that you have loved for the last how many, 10 years. And we're yeah, going to yeah. be going back through them uh, and I'm going to be uh, kind of bringing in the knowledge from the uh, the comic books that inspired the movies that have dominated the world and we're going to have this back and forth compare and contrast how the comics relate to the movies that have just uh, really exploded especially in the last couple of years it seems like it's really stepped up a gear oh totally so um we start with the first episode, which will be, of course, the very first MCU movie, uh, which is yeah. Iron Man, uh, a very interesting place for the Marvel Cinematic Universe to start. Um, kind of a linchpin in the comics, 
especially when it comes to the Avengers, which are the linchpin of the Marvel Universe, many would say. Um, but before we kind of crack on with Iron Man and the start of the cinematic universe, it might be useful to take a look at the comic book universe itself, the, the, the Marvel Universe that, that started all this so many decades ago and, and how it was so game-changing uh, and, so, um, and so radical at the time. The birth of the Marvel Universe world begins uh, with the Fantastic Four. That's where we begin. It's not Iron Man. It's not Spider-Man. It's not even really Captain America, even though Captain America kind of knocking around in, in, in the 40s. Um, we start the Marvel Universe in the 60s with the Fantastic Four. Um, so that, that was the first one? Oh, okay. that's, that's considered the first one. I mean... Marvel Comics, which was originally called things like Timely Comics and, and had different names over the years, um, it didn't really kick off the shared universe. That's kind of the important thing when we think about the Marvel Universe, is the shared yeah. cohesive universe didn't really kick off until Stan Lee started this incredible run from, from, from the, the first issue of the Fantastic Four. He just started knocking them out with you know Jack Kirby and, and Don Heck and, and, and the other guys... To, to, to create very quickly, very suddenly, within the space of a few years, all these amazing characters that now dominate the movies. Fantastic Four is the first one that does that. And I think it's really important to kind of look at what the superhero was and then what they were doing, because it's mm. so radically different. Um, superheroes were, were kind of entrenched in, in pre-war and the Second World War. There were these very pious men who wore capes, and made very overly melodramatic speeches about saving the world. That's kind of what superheroes were. They, they flourished when um, Hitler was around, and, and that gave them all something to kind of fight against. But then superheroes stopped being popular. They died an absolute death after the Second World War. So in the 50s, like, there's not... Superhero comics are not being made, generally. There are a few. But Marvel... Um, is really making cowboy comics, detective comics, and romance comics. That is their bread and butter. Um, romance comics? Romance comics, yeah. Stan Lee was a big writer of romance comics. I did not know this. The cover would have some girl like weeping on her bed, holding a phone, and the thought bubble would say, when will he call? You know, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of thing that Andy Warhol turned into those, you know, those kind of pop pop art um, paintings, those were That's directly like... from Marvel romance comics of the 50s because superheroes, yeah. they, it was like the industry kind of thought, well, that was a blip and it's done and it's over, right? We had fun with them, but that's not where comic books started and it's not where they're going to go. And, and then uh, the Marvel Universe completely shatters what a superhero is, completely. Um, Fantastic Four, Hulk, Spider-Man, Iron Man, the X-Men. Stan Lee is not creating um, strong, morally perfect heroes. He's doing Black Mirror. Stan Lee Ooh. is doing Black Mirror in the 60s. Right, you can go <laughs> back and, and, and take a look at them all. They're, they're, they're twisted science fiction morality tales with public fears ripped from the headlines. Exactly what Black Mirror does on Netflix to this day. Uh, it's all um, nuclear bombs and it's uh, radiation and the Vietnam War. That's what 
Marvel Universe is kind of based on. And costumes come into it a little bit here and there, but really it, 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 they're so, so different from these pre-war men wearing capes and, and it blew people away and it, and it, and it completely changed comic books uh, and then however many decades later it completely changed movies forever so that is kind of the the, the birth of the marvel universe in the 60s well i did i didn't know anything about the romance comics for sure and as soon as you said romance comics the first thing i thought was that andy warhol thing but wow yeah <laughs> unbelievable it, it, it it's kind of it's kind of fascinating to think that there's this there was this point in time where superheroes weren't really all that associated with comic books. They were like, oh, yeah, I remember those. They were fun for a bit. But now it's all about the cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, I'd like is if the romance novels had their own, like, Avengers team up or something. Just a load of weeping, spurned lovers forming a crack super team. <laughs> <laughs> to get revenge. Get revenge, yes. Well, what, what's oh. interesting is that those those 50s comics get fought at the... Because the, the, there are some sci-fi... There are a lot of mad scientist comics of the time, sci-fi kind of adventures, um, which is... We're about to talk about that, really, which is where Iron Man comes from. But a lot of those cowboy comics and mad scientist comics of the 50s and uh, get folded into the Marvel Universe years later. Um, so, like, someone like the Rawhide Kid, who was, you know, been around since the 50s, he gets kind of retconned, which means retroactive continuity. It means changing something in the past through something you do right now. Like, does that make any sense? It's a standard oh, comic I know what retconning is. I'm a big right, fan right, of the right. series. I, I've just, <laughs> just realised it's parlance that most, most people might not be kind of... Uh, aware of yeah but but there, there are these kind of odd characters like the rawhide kid who was just a cowboy in a cowboy comic you know someone down the line in in the 70s or the 80s when oh but yeah he was a cowboy but he was a cowboy in the marvel universe why not just say that and then you know he can travel through time and and team up with the avengers or something so they kind of i don't know if they ever folded in um oh you know what they did and i can't think I can't think of the name. It may well be, it may well be, um, Tigra. This is not important, Rob. Get on with the podcast. <laughs> but if you're out there and you know what I'm talking about, there is, there definitively is, one of the 50s romance characters becomes a superhero in the Marvel Universe. And I can't, I think it's got something to do with the weird character Tigra, but I might be wrong. Okay, that's not what the podcast is. This is not a Tigra podcast. <laughs> Not it, it's yet. a bit of a curse having so much knowledge isn't it you just go wait a minute I'm going to go around that tangent it's <laughs> exhausting other... yes <laughs> I'd like to take a holiday from my own brain <laughs> so so you really kicked this off by re-watching Iron Man yes um, I, I did it over the weekend what, what are your thoughts and, and what are your do you, do you, uh, presumably you saw it when it came out you're you're a big geek, even though you're not a comic book geek, and this has got you know cool armor and uh, things exploding. So you must have. Did you go and see it at the cinema? I didn't. I, I actually uh, put off seeing it because I was uh, like I was aware of Spider Man and I, I like the X Men, but I, I only know the X Men through the '90s uh, cartoon series. So 
when it came to stuff like, oh, Iron Man, I think my first exposure to Iron Man was that he was a secret character in a Tony Hawk game. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you can play as Iron Man in, in Tony Hawk Pro Skater? In Tony Hawk's 3, one of the secret characters was Iron Man because uh, the I think the same company were doing some Marvel games. Like They had Spider-Man as a secret character because the, game, the company Neversoft were doing the Spider-Man game on the PlayStation around the same oh time. God. So they went, you know what, let's play Spider-Man. We've got the license. <laughs> that is so wild because there are those people whose first introduction to the Marvel Universe, like it makes sense with the cartoon, but there will be ones whose first introduction would be like, Marvel versus Capcom, the game, or yep, yep. the Captain America arcade game. Like there were things like that that could have been people's first introduction, or like. And I always feel so bad for people if their first introduction is one of the terrible TV movies, like the, <laughs> oh, the Dolph, yes. the Dolph Lundgren Punisher, or the Captain America where he's got a little bike <laughs> and a really big motorcycle helmet. Um, they, that, they keep sharing that online and just clips of him stealing cars. <laughs> yeah, that's rough, man. And as a as a as a fan of the comics, I can't tell you what a blessing it's. It's more of a blessing. The MCU is kind of more of a blessing than the unconnected ones. What I mean by that is, you're kind of so desperate for there to be any decent adaptation that it's really hard when they're all so bad and you get good ones like don't get me wrong like superman's pretty good but as a kid it wasn't that fulfilling batman was really really good but then they went off favorite. the boil and the ones yeah. that follow were a bit same with spider-man I mean, spider-man spider-man 2 were fantastic but then every every other every other one like is shit uh I remember terrible the amazing... yeah i was about to say well, yeah depending on the uh sense of real we have i i remember watching the amazing spider-man on a plane and just thought no this feels so pointless <laughs> yeah and so what is uh what was kind of good is that if it, it it felt like because you all knew they were coming from like one place yeah it felt like well if they're doing this one seriously then they must be doing them all serious not seriously but properly if they're really mm. trying to make them all good they, it's, and it's, a, it's the company that should know what they're doing, you would hope. Oh, oh yeah, to totally. I think with Iron Man, though, I think, uh, going back to the, the uh, first Iron Man film, I think they got it right because I came to it as a complete newbie. I basically saw Iron Man as, oh, he's got loads of technology and all this. He, he's basically Batman with jetpack. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> oh, that... <laughs> That appeals to me. I didn't watch it in the cinema. I held off. I held off because it didn't really jump out at me. Because I think superhero films had gone downhill a bit just before then, and then then Batman was happening, and I think Dark Knight was where my allegiance lay. And then I went, okay, I'm going to watch Iron Man. And immediately the opening scene, ACDC's playing, and I'm like, yeah, I, I'm sold. <laughs> the music's really key, isn't it? Like it's it's really it key. Yeah, yeah. Especially with something like this, because he is kind of a swaggering rock star, isn't he, Tony Stark? And you want to have this edge to him that's not too poncy, but kind of like, oh, he has a swagger that isn't oh, too much. And I think playing ACDC at the beginning helped help with that. But yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I watched it. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I have to say, watching it again, 
although you can see how the MCU progresses and you can tell they get better, better writers as they go along and stuff like that, and better, slightly better CGI and whatnot, uh, I still think the first Iron Man holds up. It, it, was, it, was, it was such a joy to watch again. Did it make you excited to see... It obviously didn't convert you. It didn't do what they were hoping it would do, though, did it? It did not convert you into someone that would go out and spend three or four quid on a comic. No. So maybe, maybe it was yeah. a failure. <laughs> I think I think it like did what it, all it needed to do in that two-hour slot. I was like, ah, oh, good, I'm fine. I'm fine with this film artifact. And and did you leave excited for like more Marvel stuff or more Iron Man? Like, what was, or was it that just kind of the end of the experience? You didn't really think I've got to see the next one. Well, I, I remember because I, I I do love Wikipedia films after I've watched them mainly to make sure I understood the story. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but but one of the things is it's like I looked at it and went, okay, how many bad guys does Iron Man have? And I looked through it and I think I remember seeing. Um, what was it? What was it? Was it the Mandarin? Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, oh man, that's going to be an issue if they decide to do that later down the line. But I think I was kind of <laughs> excited for another Iron Man film. I was like, oh, if another one comes out, I'll happily watch it. it it'll be a laugh. I, it's what, not like how I would have. Sorry, yeah. When, when you say you thought it was going to be an issue down the line, in, in what way? Well, the thing is, the Mandarin is he is. As uh, I, I think. I think because he was of Chinese descent and they did this thing, this really weird thing like with the Flash Gordon cartoons where any villain with a ch of Chinese descent, they changed it to a lizard person, which was, which was problematic. But it's like, it was like he was very old school, very yeah. stereotypical, almost racially insensitive Chinese. It's a very racial stereotype, yeah. Um, yeah. Now he is actually... <laughs> so he <laughs> replaces... So for, earlier on in Marvel's history, when they were kind of publishing as Atlas comics for a while, um, yeah. they had another Asian um, crime lord, spy crime lord kind of guy, whose name was the Yellow Claw. Oh, and my! <laughs> absolutely dreadful, to the point yeah. where they had to start... They, they have retconned the Yellow Claw pretty much out of existence and replaced all instances with the Mandarin, which yeah. is like replacing one racial stereotype with a slightly, <laughs> I mean, slightly better racial stereotype. Um, the, the modern yeah. redesigns of the Mandarin are kind of uh, are a lot better. He, he is just a, you know, a, a normal Asian person in a business suit, and it kind of works. Um, yeah. His, his story is really fun, but we'll talk about that when we get to Iron Man 3, um, and we actually deal with, uh, with the Mandarin in, in, in that form. Um, of course. So, shall we? Shall we crack on with your with the, with the kind of the, the take us through the the movie itself a little bit? Okay. Well, with the synopsis, basically, uh, Tony Stark is CEO of Stark Industries. He is he is the he's basically a weapons dealer, isn't he? Would you say he's an arms? He's dealer. an arms dealer. He is he's an, an arms, arms dealer. Yes. This is this is the one thing I couldn't get away from was like. We're, he's, he's, he's a lovely chap, but he's basically an arms dealer. But what happens is he's going... Uh, where, where is the... Uh, okay, I think the, the name they use for this is unspecified to Stan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. This is... Immediately, this is so on the nose for, for the comics. Um, yeah. Because he goes into a, into a war zone. Yeah. But they don't, want, they don't want to tie it to an actual war zone, do they? 
they don't. Aside from politics, that'll date in 12 months, won't it? Oh, it, absolutely, absolutely. But that's the thing. He, he, it, it, I just love the vagueness of these kind of things. I mean, even in, in, in some shoot-em-up games, they'll just give it a, a uh, very, like, an unspecified name where, where the term unspecified as Stan came up, which I find hilarious. So, but yeah. That's a that's legit term that's been used then. Yeah, has, has been used a few times, unspecified as Stan. I think mainly in the gaming community. <laughs> in, 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 the, in, in the Marvel comics, in, in the 60s, it was Vietnam. It's the Vietnam War. The whole of Iron Man is, is really early on about the Vietnam War and about yeah. the, 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 the war on communism. But because Marvel operates what we call a sliding time scale, uh, which in, in Marvel means that these characters started to come about around five years ago. So they okay. never get old, if that makes sense. You're constantly updating the time scale of these characters. Yeah, that's, that's the that best becomes, way to do it. It is, but it becomes problematic when you've tied them to an actual war, a real historical thing. Mm. So over the years, it's been updated. Marvel's updated it to Iron Man was injured in the Vietnam War, to the Korean War, to then it was after a, it was it was it was odd for a while. Then it was Iraq. Thankfully, Iraq the Iraq War happened, and they could update things again. Um, it's always good when a war happens, so you can update your story. <laughs> in the very recent, as in this year's, or was it last, this year or last year's uh, Handbook to the Marvel Universe, written by Mark Wade, um, we got the introduction that it was no longer any real place. They now have invented uh, a whole other region and war called Cyan uh, Kong. So it's <laughs> Yeah. So this is now wow. the Scion. This now takes place in the Iron Man in the comic books. He's injured during the Cyan Kong War, the same conflict that um, that is where the Punisher kind of learns to be the Punisher, um, and Reed Richards is involved in it, and and Ben Grimm as well. So that's the, and I imagine Nick. Well, Nick Fury is a, depends on the Nick Fury. We can't get into that. Yeah. We'll do it at the end. I was about to say, so, which yeah. Earth version is this? <laughs> No, Marvel doesn't do that. I thought it did. I swore it. I swore it did. I swore it did. I heard that somewhere. Okay. okay. Oh, I'm thinking of DC. You're thinking of DC. Okay. Well, I'll shut up uh, and, and continue talking. Uh, the, the thing is, uh, that, that's the thing. It's it. That's the start of the film. It introduced you to a modern thing. Okay. Here we are in what looks to be Afghanistan, and he's there to demonstrate a new type of missile. But during the uh, like after demonstration, he's basically ambushed. Uh, while they're playing ACDC and he's drinking whiskey out of a non-standard issue glass in the back of a Humvee, which is just... That, is just, that, that <laughs> sets up the character so well, doesn't it? That sets it up for me. He's, yeah. he's, he and is it, an arms dealer. For, for comic fans, it kind of signals... Seeing the first instance of Tony Stark, he's got a, a glass of booze in his hand is a good signifier. It's a nice little nod um, because... One of the most famous Iron Man storylines is two of them actually his battle with alcoholism. So, I, I heard about this. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard that the character had uh, alcohol troubles or something. It's, it's it's only fitting they get Robert Downey Jr. to play him. Really, really is. Yeah, yeah. He brings a lot to it. Yeah. Oh, totally. He totally has experience for it. So basically, the, the set of the film is he gets attacked after after showing off his weapon. He's captured and imprisoned in a cave by a terrorist group. Uh, you have the name of the terrorist group. The, the Ten Rings. Now, what is that? 
What is that a reference to? Because I... It's a reference to the Mandarin. Ten... It is a Mandarin reference. Yeah, yeah. And I got... Okay. I, I, so I... I uh, because I'm a fanboy... <laughs> I do hate that. <laughs> I, I, I'd much rather be called a fangirl, actually. Uh, I, oh. I fangirled uh, at that moment, and I did what we in the British wrestling world would call... I popped. I did a little <laughs> mini cheer in my seat when they said the Ten Rings, because... Uh, so the, the the Mandarin. <laughs> Sorry, I've just realised I have to say this out loud now. The Mandarin is an Asian crime lord who discovers um, a spaceship containing an alien dragon. Oh! And <laughs> in, in, in in the hills of China, in the mountains of China, and the alien dragon. <laughs> stop laughing. The alien dragon uses ten power couplings to power his uh, spaceship and they just happen to be ring sized so the mandarin puts on these ten rings and each one gives him a different power like teleportation you can blind people uh, um, I forget what the others do uh, so he's got <laughs> ten rings so the, the terrorist organization being named the ten rings was a really cool little moment for me because I was like, oh, they're going to get... Because I already know from the trailer, Mandarin's not in this movie. I was like, oh, they're setting up to reveal the Mandarin later. That will be cool. So, yeah, the Ten Rings is a reference to to Monsieur Racial Stereotype. Monsieur Racial Stereotype. I was about to say, the Ten Rings and the fact he's a crime lord, you make him sound like he's Thanos crossed with the Yakuza. Yeah. The triads, in this case. Oh, my God, that's... That's quite that. Okay, I, I won't delve further into that. That's, that's absolutely mental. We'll get we'll get to the Mandarin when we get to the Mandarin. We'll get to the Mandarin. We'll get to the Mandarin for now. We're, yeah. stay, we're sticking with uh, t- uh, Tony Stark being captured. So yes, captured it, it, by the, the number one thing is that he's injured in that attack. That's the the big bit, isn't it? Yeah, he's injured in the attack. Sorry, he's injured in the attack, uh, and then he's basically uh, revived by a fellow doctor. He implants an electromagnet into Stark's chest to keep the shrapnel shards. Uh, from reaching his heart, basically, and killing him. And uh, during the, during his time in there, he builds uh, a something called an arc reactor. He does. He does. He builds an arc reactor. Now, what's the significance with the arc reactor? Well, it's kind of hard to say, because um, the arc reactor, it, it, it's a bit more of a very modern... So originally when this happened, he hmm. Tony Stark just... In the, in the 1960s, he full-on steps on a landmine in oh, Vietnam wow. and blows, <laughs> he blows himself up. And presumably the other soldiers around him. And he's got, yeah, he's left with that shrapnel slowly moving towards his heart. And uh, he's definitely going to die. So he, he, he builds the Iron Man suit to, number one, preserve his life. That's the yeah. first thing he does. He tells the, the Viet Cong that he'll build weapons for them. But then instead yeah. of building the weapons for him, he builds something to preserve his life. And it's the chest plate of the Iron Man armor. Which means from that point on, comic book Tony Stark has to wear the chest plate armor at all times. Yeah. If yeah. he takes it's, it's... it off, he dies. He does not it's have amazing. this kind of replacement heart. So from that point on, it, Stan Lee gives him this huge, huge fallibility that is a constant issue for him. He has to wear it underneath his shirts and his business suits all the time. Um, he has to plug the chest plate into the mains on, on a regular basis to charge it up. 
he is in those in in the in the sixties, right the way through the sixties uh, issues, and it goes on for a while before he gets a, a replacement heart. The, the original Iron Man has to keep like ducking out of meetings. He keeps Tony Stark keeps feeling faint um, at parties, at business meetings, and he's like, "Oh God, I need I need I need to go to my room and be alone." And he just plugs himself into the mains and charges himself up. Um, and it's a it's a huge a huge part of the why he can't get together with Pepper Potts. Um, and it's because, and this is a, Stan Lee does this with all his lead heroes. He gives mm. them a massive health problem that means they can't get with the girl. Like he, he, oh. twi- he twilights the shit out of this. I'm telling you, he knows what he's doing because <laughs> he spent the fifties writing romance comics. He knows yeah, how yeah. important it is to have a, a love story that can't, that can't ever knock boots. So, um, Tony Stark loves or really fancies Pepper Potts. She loves him, but his, he's constantly thinking to himself, what kind of a life could I give this woman when I'm trapped in this portable iron lung and I'm on the brink of dying every day and I have to keep plugging myself in? So that's why I can never be with it. He does the same with Thor. He does the same with Cyclops and the X-Men. Um, it's yeah. a big Stanley trope of a big health issue that, that keeps them from um, uh, kissing a girl they like. <laughs> if anything, I like it. It's, it's almost like an allegory for ME. <laughs> or, or, having to, or having to charge your phone up all the time. Oh, no, it's low battery. Have, to, have you got a wall? He, he, he sometimes has to do it in the middle of a fight. One time... Oh, no. He had to plug himself into a lamp post to charge himself up the <laughs> <hands. laughs> Oh, God, that is so good. That is so good. And this all oh. got ruined when one writer decided that he knew enough about solar energy to solve all yeah. the problems, really. And I think it ruined Iron Man forever. Oh, but plugging man. yourself into a lamp post is just objectively awesome. I'll be with you in a minute, guys. I'm just, uh, just getting a charge. I gotta have to call up the council. It's got one of those special keys. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that is insane! So yeah, he basically has an arc reactor in his chest, keeping him alive, and he's captured uh, now in this film. It's a guy called Yinsen. Is that uh, significant? Yeah, it's the same dude, same name. Yeah. Okay, fantastic, and he's ca- uh, with, with them as well. Uh, one thing I I I noticed, like as soon as I. Uh, I, I sort of re- recoiled when he pulling a tube out of his nose because obviously they put a tube in there to feed him while he's uh, while he's not being knocked out. And oh god, I will never, never be able to watch those in films where it's where it's the Matrix, whether it's uh, other things like that, where they just pull a tube out of your nose or out your mouth. Ugh. Shootings and stabbings you're cool with, but tube up the nose. Oh. Tube, no, 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 that's just, that's just wrong. Cannot handle wrong. it. Give, give me a knife any day, but. This is it's the thing. They uh, he is forced, just like you say, he's forced to build. He's basically going to build another missile. He's been advertising for them. Uh, I like that bit where during the attack, where one of his own missiles lands next to him, and he has a good look at the Stark Industries logo, and it's that moment of oh no, this is irony <laughs> or whatever. It's so it's so wild to think of uh, that. This is not an update. Um... Tony Stark mm. from day one was an arms dealer. 
Um, and it, you think this, this this comic? So the the order of them really is fantastic for Incredible Hulk, Spider Man, and then Iron Man. That's the order in which they were created and released to the public. Hmm. Um, so right after, and we'll do. Hopefully, we'll do more in this when we get to Spider Man. But right after creating uh, the very first poor working class disenfranchised teenage superhero in the 1960s Stanley creates fucking Howard Hughes like the ultimate yes. capitalist arms dealer can you imagine you think about what's happening in the 60s at the time the generation quake is exploding you've got the protests the Vietnam war protests are freaking everywhere and and Stanley is like yeah but what if this guy sells uh, bombs <laughs> what if that's what he wants for a living <laughs> What if that's the guy, right? Right? What about that? Well, we love the guy, Stan. We love the guy who was, he was a poor working class kid from Queens and he doesn't have enough money to buy web fluid and his aunt, yeah, but this guy has a limousine and he kills people, he sells death to people. It's pretty cool, right? And Stan I, I think said, it's a good, yeah. Stan, Stan is, is, is said he intended to create the ultimate capitalist figure. That's what he wanted, a proper capitalist in the middle of this complete generational revolution where the, presumably the kids reading the comics are rising up against this. But um, that's what he wanted to do. And that's kind of, we see a similar thing with Doctor Strange, which we'll get to later. They're kind of a Ooh, prick and then yeah. they have this huge thing happen to them. Oh, absolutely. Plus they have the same facial hair. <laughs> They're very similar. Hey, do you know... Uh, one of the early villains that Iron Man fights is a character called Doctor Strange, and oh, it's not the one you're thinking of. It's a complete. They just it was a throwaway name in the sixties. Bloody hell! I swear that name's been popped up popped up quite a few bit. Doctor Strange, you know, it sounds like a placeholder yeah, name. Yeah, it's so obvious, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's called Doctor Strange for now, and we'll invent a proper name later on in post post production. <laughs> it's post production with the script. So yeah, uh, Tony Stark is captured, as we said. He's got the art reactor, and they they're forcing him to build a one of his own missiles. But instead, he he conspires with the person who saved him, Yinsen, to build a prototype suit of power armor to aid their escape. Uh, they keep the suit hid. Basically, it's like it's almost like the Great Escape or whatever. Where they're just under, they're captured. They they got an escape plan. They're keeping it hidden. Okay, yeah, it's nothing like the Great Escape. Come to think of it, but. Uh, <laughs> Steve McQueen as Iron Man would be cool. If, if they did that back then, I mean, I could easily see... Actually, I don't know, Steve McQueen would probably be Captain America, wouldn't he? Who would have been Iron... Who would have played him? Brett Butler. <laughs> Brett, he's got the moustache, hasn't he? Yeah, because that's, that's, that's the first image I thought saw in my mind. Where I yeah. thought, who would look like Tony Stark back then? Yeah. Um, yeah, this... Uh, well, he's kind, of, he's kind of based on, on the kind of Errol Flynn look. That's kind of what they... Howard Hughes for the personality, Errol Flynn for the for the look of the of the original Iron Man. Ah, uh, <clears throat> so, yes. Yes, yeah, that's that thin mustache, the, the 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 sweep of the hair, and the kind of little cravat poking out the top of the uh, of the shirt. <clears throat> oh, totally. I like the little uh, nods to Howard Hughes. They they the line. I think it's uh, War Machine. Well, he hasn't become War Machine yet. Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah. he, he says he says to him, "Hey, you're just." Uh, you, like a jar, what's it? Your long hair, long toenails away from Hughes or whatever. He says something like that. It's like, yeah, yeah. 
Because to me, framing. all I can think of, yeah, all I can think of is Mr. Burrs from The Simpsons when he, he has that same thing happen to him. So I'm sorry, all Howard Hughes references immediately go to that part of The Simpsons for me. There are there are but people yeah. that know history, and there are people that know history through The Simpsons, and <laughs> you know what category that. you're in, Will. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> but yeah, he uh, he builds this suit. Now the thing is with the suit, as as, as I know. It is, it is, it is the original suit, isn't it, that it had in the '60s comic? That is the, the novel, yeah, big, it? big, bulky, and and, and grey, and, and because it's it's cobbled together from what was available. You know, they, they yeah. don't have it, it's it. They're using kind of iron steel mongering techniques rather than having a uh, a high def laser guided cutting machine and the best materials and alloys and everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, done, done without uh, done without automation and microchips. I mean, it is. It, it makes me feel, uh, I don't know, because there were, there were some like Call of Duty games where you get to have the bomb-proof suits, and they're big, you're invincible, but you're lugging around with these big weapons. And that's the first thing I thought saw when I thought that. The demolition suit. Uh, and it's, uh, they basically keep it hidden. And they, uh, they, the day comes, and they actually stage their escape. Uh, but sadly, uh, Yinsen sacrificed himself to divert them away so he can get out of there. As, you know, I think I think there's a suit charging or something. They, they're doing something like, do this when it gets to 90% or something. You've got to hit F11. Charging. That's the one that always hit. stands out to me, is to activate the Iron Man suit. Hit F11. F11. <laughs> the most unused... That's, that's, of... big, that's big picture. That's full widescreen. Oh, it is, isn't it? That's, 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 that's full screen mode for your, for your uh, thing, mode. isn't it? For your porn. Oh, I mean, right. for, your, for whatever you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's born or non-born, uh, the two uses <laughs> of the internet. But yeah, he gets he gets it. He basically he sacrifices himself. Tony Stark in the suit, getting out of there, and it's just absolutely mad. It's almost a bit like Batman when he makes his first appearance because there's that fear and you can't really see him. The people are going ah! and flying off screen. See, I think it's very similar to a scene we'll see uh, in the next episode in Incredible Hulk where. We've had we've had glimpses of it in the darkness, but we don't really see it, and then it kind of comes out of the darkness into the light, and it is it is genuinely um, a little creepy. I remember watching the old nineteen seventies live action Spider Man TV movies. Hmm. I didn't watch them in the nineteen seventies. I'm not quite that old, but hey. I, I can remember seeing the Spider Man costume live action for the first time, and it kind of creeped me out as a kid, like. Because this was the first time not seeing it as a comic or a cartoon. There's something non-human. It doesn't have a mouth. Yeah. Doesn't have facial features really. It's kind of there's, there's always that kind of you know the uncanny valley and the 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 unhumanness of kind of these these representations of it. And and I definitely yeah. think the the grey Iron Man suit coming out of the darkness. Yeah, it is very. It's like a big troll. Yeah, it, it's it's like it's like a yeah it's like a fairy tale villain or something. Mm. Not, not fairy tale villain, but like a monster. It is basically <laughs> a fairy primal monster coming out of the darkness that's invincible and is going to punch a, you. Or, there's a thing that's yeah. kind of because uh, we go straight from the the original armor to the cool sexy armor. Um, oh yeah. And in the comics, it takes a little bit longer than that. Um, and what's interesting is after a little while. Because uh, there's a period of time where Tony Stark in the comics and the early ones is essentially just Bruce Wayne. Um, he's <laughs> he's at a charity dinner. No, is it the circus? He's at the circus. That's why it's more oh, like Bruce God. Wayne. And yeah. he stops some tigers from going wild. And his date 
he, Tony Stark then asks his date, hey, what do you think of that big robot man? He was pretty cool, wasn't he? And she goes, oh, God, he was so scary and ugly and grey. Didn't like him at all. He should look more like a knight in shining armour. And so, yeah. because Tony is all about the poon, he decides to spray paint the armour gold. And so you get gold Iron Man for several issues. And the yeah, start of the yeah. Avengers, it's the same bulk. It's, it's a slightly trimmed down suit, but it's still bulky. And it's just, but it's just yellow. It's entirely yellow. No red whatsoever. And then oh, wow. a little bit later on, someone comes along and goes, that looks horrible. <laughs> Let's break up a, a single colour and just give it a yeah. little bit more pizzazz. Because the way you say it looks all gold, all I'm saying is C-3PO that can fly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like if C-3PO was, uh, you know, a gay bear daddy. You know, one of those guys? Like, he's big, he's chunky. He's yeah, got thick yeah. thighs, thick arms, thick stomach. You know, that's what yeah. it looks like. C-3PO wow. is like the twink version of <laughs> Big Gold Iron Man. <laughs> and so starts some fan fiction no one wants to read. <laughs> oh, the slash fiction. I'm, oh, I know what I'm doing during lockdown now. <laughs> oh, man, you could, you could make a ton on Reddit. <laughs> Posting that on there. <clears throat> oh, God. So yeah, that's the suits. That's the original suits. So I, what I like is he's he's getting out of there, getting out of the cave. He's blasting his way out, and then he does he does the triumphant moment. He launches off. <laughs> he launches off and escapes, and of course crashes in the desert and is recovered. Uh, it was quite. I have, to, I have to admit, I I laughed quite a lot at the crash. It was just typical. But it, it is it is. It's great. And it's funny, uh, and it's kind of good in showing that. That's kind of as much as he could do with, yeah, with like it's it's the fallibility of not having anything, you know. Um, oh, totally, totally. Bu- building stuff from scrap metal, basically. Yeah, the, the whole thing I like is there is this element throughout the film of trial and error and doing stuff with physics, adjusting uh, th- rocket thrusts. I'm a big fan of this game called Kerbal Space Program. Where you have to like launch rockets off and like achieve orbit, go to the moon, go to Mars, and it's all about the physics, and you have to construct your spaceship. And I was thinking of all about the entire thing. Whenever he's testing something, I'm going, "Oh no, 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 no! You want to have less rocket fuel in there, so it will lighten out." <laughs> and I, my I, my head went right into there when I was watching this. I went, I went beyond geeking into nerd territory. Jeez, it, it's <laughs> it's a real difference. Uh, oh. Well, well, we'll we'll get to that when we get to the to the to the better armor, I suppose. But it's it is a real difference to um, because these comics are science fiction being written by mm. someone with virtually no knowledge of science. Mm. <laughs> like Stanley's knowledge of science is like what he read in the morning paper, uh, which <laughs> is like, gee whiz, they just invented the microchip. I don't know what it is. I'm gonna write some comics about it, um, <laughs> and and it's all the suit. The Iron Man suit is, and it is like you can see they capture it so well in the movie that you you believe he's a genius engineer, and you can see what's going on. Like you say, the trial and error, and and the, you can see all of that in the comics. He has this thing called transistors, and it's quite clear from the get go that Stanley does not know what transistors are. <laughs> because <laughs> I Tony Stark goes to Vietnam. And he puts a transistor in a magnet, and the <laughs> magnet, 
and the magnet can now rip a steel door apart. And the captain no. of the army says, that's amazing. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to put these transistors in all of your weapons and it will make them um, stronger somehow. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> And everything, everything in Iron Man to begin with is about magnets and transistors, uh, and it, it, that's how he kind of propels himself through magnets. He doesn't use rockets; it's magnets. Yeah, that's how he flies around. Um, he gets himself one of his earliest inventions is, um, well, roller skates. Uh, there's no other way of putting it. <laughs> he invents roller <laughs> skates. <laughs> Bearing in mind, this is a character that can fly. In one issue, he goes, oh, no, we're stuck in traffic. <laughs> Luckily, I invented these roller skates on my metal shoes. And then he, he uses magnets. He doesn't go, magnet. go, go, gadget. That's oh, exactly what it is, yes. He doesn't go, 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 gadget, stark skates, and then swoops <laughs> off. Jeez. And then he uses um, yeah. magnets to pull himself towards cars and just keeps skating. <laughs> So yeah, it is yeah. It, the trial of the, 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 being able to have a, a better understanding of science really does help science fiction. <laughs> yeah, it, well, having a better understanding of science moves more science fact, if you will. Uh, yeah, I went, ooh, look at Will, he's being a bit clever with his words. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, he gets rescued, he gets uh, brought back, and he does his first, after getting a, a, an American cheeseburger. Oh, an American cheeseburger. I don't think I would risk that kind of cholesterol when I don't have a proper heart anymore. Like I, don't, <laughs> I just think I would have kept it. I don't know. I just would have been very careful about it. I, I, I know. But this is. But luckily, he's played by Robert Downey Jr. and he's pretty much resistance to everything. But um, it's like it's it's. It is, but it's like a kind of passion. You, you can tell this is a man who cares about his country when the first thing he wants is a fucking, sorry, bloody cheeseburger. Um, yeah, it's... It, I, I like that aspect too. It. It, it shows priority. Uh, and then he gives a speech to his company uh, telling them that Stark Industries will no longer manufacture weapons. Cease manufacturing weapons. This uh, is the big, big divergence from the comics. <laughs> because oh, this, seems like, no. this seems like a natural thing, doesn't it? You've introduced yeah. a character that's not terribly likable because he's a warmonger, and and then like a traumatic thing happens to him, and mm. it, to do with his own weapons, so he stops building yeah. them. Nope, not in the comics. <laughs> he gets out of this experience, and he's right back to building bombs and missiles and guns and things that can <laughs> kill people. Because at the beginning, Iron Man is very rah rah fight the commies it's very pro oh. vietnam war it's very pro the the the, uh, the administration that is against the communists and mm. stark he's meant it, it, I, my <clears throat> so iron man doesn't debut in a comic book called iron man Ooh, he debuts know. he debuts in, in 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 tales to astonish um issue number 60 whatever Right, mm. and it's the same. Spider Man doesn't debut in Spider Man; he debuts in Amazing Fantasy. It, it, these comics are much more in line with something like Black Mirror or The Twilight Zone, where you create a character uh, and you create this weird, twisted science fiction story, and you kind of see what happens, right? And you just—it's just you—you've you, got a deadline to meet, and you're writing a fun story. Now, mm. should the character prove popular, of course, you keep writing stories about him. I'm not entirely certain if Stan Lee went into the first Iron Man story thinking 
he's definitely writing a superhero. He might have just oh, been writing okay. because what we've missed. He's in the Iron Man in the in the original story. He uh, burns the Viet Cong to death. <laughs> put puts a hat and coat on over his Iron Man armor and walks off into the jungle. And that's the end. <laughs> that's the Sorry, end of the a origin. Hat and, a hat and coat on. A big hat and an overcoat. <laughs> All I can then, all I can see is metal Rorschach. That's yeah. That's that's kind of what it is. And then he walks off into so he he he, he yeah he, he covers them all in petrol and sets fire to it and b- blows them all up and burns them alive. And then he's like, my work here is done. <laughs> the, Viet- <laughs> the Vietnamese are dead. <laughs> Puts on a hat and overcoat and just trops off into the into the jungle. And exit stage right. It doesn't really strike me in, in, in reek of superhero stuff, does it? It kind of feels very much like a twisted sci-fi story. Um, yeah. And, and so that's the, that's, the, that's the kind of thing. I'm not entirely sure that to begin with, Stan Lee was writing a heroic figure. Um, hmm. But he, he does, very, very quickly, the second one, you know, the, the second and third and the fourth stories, he is, he's kind of saving people from circus cats and stuff. But um, yeah, he, he does not stop being an arms manufacturer and a lot of the early conflicts are communist spies coming to stop him from building missiles and you have to be on his side as he's like no how dare you i shall i shall protect and defend my rights to to keep profiting from the war in your country (laughs) yeah oh wow oh but you can't you can't do that in a modern movie can you no, no, you, you, you can't because the, the, you can't get away with that message at all because it's, oh, awful. And plus, yeah. there's no real big war going on. So you, even if there was a massive war going on, you couldn't do it. You have to do it subtly. To be fair, they did, is the protest, is the anti, anti-Vietnam sentiment really, anti-Vietnam war sentiment, sorry, really, really ramped up in the country. Uh, kind of smarter heads at Marvel prevailed. And uh, along the way, Tony Stark did decide... Maybe building things that kill innocent people is a bad thing for me to do. Yeah, but it, it, it took so, a little while to get there. Took a little while to get there, but I mean, as, as for the film, as as the first thing he does, I mean, it's great. It's like a breaking equilibrium. It's like it's not like the end of the film. Is he gets back home and continues what he does? It's like no, but, but this uh, causes uh, he, he some... becomes he becomes a sci-fi hippie, and that's something that is not. <laughs> It genuinely does. I mean, it's a very, very strong character trait for the MCU, Tony. And, and it's, mm. um, it's his biggest divergence, really, from, from, the, from the comic in terms of the personality. He's a sci-fi hippie. Um, mm. He really does change his ways and, 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 and kind of does start to think differently um, and becomes very, very anti, anti-authority and anti-establishment, which yeah. uh, Marvel Universe Tony is not. He's like, keep giving me that money, uh, American government and S.H.I.E.L.D. I'll keep building your weapons. Keep telling me what to do, brothers. Bloody hell. Okay, I didn't realise that was about the original. Wow. What about... Um, okay, we'll get, we'll get to this character as well, because his decision to... To say, okay, we're no longer manufacturing weapons that kill people, as if there's another kind of weapon. Uh, it, it pisses off <laughs> his father's old partner, the company's manager. Uh, now, I'm going to say, pronounce it right, Obadiah Stane. 
Obadiah, Obi, yeah. O- Obadiah, say. O- Obi, I'll call him Obi. <clears throat> so Obadiah this is and... the... <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, yeah, carry on. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to basically agree with whatever you are going to say next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Obadiah Stane uh, doesn't arrive in the comics until the 80s. Oh, okay. He has no... They have retconned a connection to... Um, Howard Stark, Tony's father, but that I don't think mm. that was there to begin with. He's not. It, it, um, it's not clear. It, it, what is what we do know is that Tony Stark's parents die when he's young, mm. and he does take over the company. But it's not that clear what happens in between. Like who's running it? Um, yeah, but it's certainly not Obadiah Stane. Obadiah Stane arrives in in the in the eighties. Um, as this mastermind behind a lot of attacks on on Stark and on Iron Man. Uh, ah, okay. He, he's attacking him in the boardroom uh, and gobbling up stocks and shares and shutting them out of, of business corporate deals and things. And he, behind mm. the scenes, he's also hiring lots of villains to attack Stark Industries and attack Iron Man. And then he manages to buy Stark Industries completely out from under Tony's nose. Shutting Stark out absolutely and completely, reducing his shares to virtually nothing. Uh, and all of this sustained, prolonged attack behind the scenes from Obadiah drives Tony back to the bottle. Um, oh. And he, he becomes a drunk. He has a big alcoholism relapse, abandons what's left of the company, and also stops being Iron Man. He uh, hands the suit over to Rhodey, and he yep. goes off to become an alcoholic beggar. Wow. Yeah. That's 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 quite a transition. It's a, a big victory. I mean, in terms of supervillains scoring victories, that's a big win. That is a big, that's, big win. It's uh, a punch in his heart. He, he, Tony, Tony has to start a whole new... He joins a, he joins a Silicon Valley... It's in the 80s, so he joins a Silicon Valley startup. And starts building brand new designs and stuff. Come, oh, um, wow. Because Stain has bought Stark Industries, he has access to plans to build um, Iron Man suits and build the Iron Monger suit, which is yeah. big and really and really powerful. And uh, they have a big fight, and rather than go to prison, he blows his own head off. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Stain the, the the thing the thing on the on the palm that Iron Man shoots out is called Repulsor Ray, and he's yeah. like, I don't fancy going to prison, fellas, and then he puts it under his under his chin and blows his head off. Oh my god, that's that's a grim ending considering. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So Obi, before he uh, succumbs in the film, uh, so basically he's he's a bit pissed off. So. Tony then works at building a sleek and more powerful version of the suit, uh, as well as a more powerful arc reactor for his chest. And Pepper Potts uh, then places the original reactor inside a small glass showcase. But just uh, to stop at that point, what struck yeah. me about on the re- when I rewatched it is mm. that Stain, to, he alludes to the fact that we make weapons here, we're not interested in a completely different renewable power source. <laughs> how, would, how would that make us any money? Oh, God, that's <laughs> embarrassing. 
There's a giant art reactor, and it, admittedly he kind of says, it doesn't work, it's just a publicity stunt. But Tony then says, but it powers this facility, so it, it does work. Uh, and it just, he, it's the way he says it. Pfft, no one's ever going to make money from fuel. Let's keep building bullets. <laughs> we can power cars with our bullets by firing backwards. <laughs> What I liked about there's this one one bit, and I swear you do it in all films and all TV shows. Whenever the, obviously stocks go down after he announces they're no longer uh, building weapons, they switch to a clip of that TV show Mad Money or whatever, and they yeah, just like goes, yeah. "I'll tell you what the stocks are worth." Thumbs down, and they always do that. <laughs> It's like they never show a clip with Mad Money when a company is doing well. It's always when a company's doing bad. <laughs> I just don't I, know why I think that guy makes more money from uh, TV and movie appearances <laughs> like that than he does his own show Like I think they pay, oh, he gets paid more to appear in stuff than he does anything else I mean, FYI, what kind of show? There's, a, yeah. there's a great um, <clears throat> there's a great movie about oh god who plays him I think it's George Clooney it's a great mm. movie about a character exactly like that that ruins someone's life by doing that, mm. and they go mad and take him hostage in the in the studio. And it's a lot of fun, oh, but it has that, nothing that to sounds, do with Iron Man. Sounds brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, I I, I, always, I I just found that funny that they're using that to signify that the company's not doing so bad. So obviously, it pisses off staying. So then he's at a charity event, like like he like he does, and he finds out from a reporter that his company weapons. Uh, were recently, recently delivered, delivered to the Ten Rings are, are being used to attack Yinsen's home village. So he gets on the new power armor after loads of like testing of it and everything, and it all going wrong a few times. And Which is tremendously fun, right? That's like oh, such a great scene in the movie. It is. It, it just I like the trial and error bits. Like okay, in Batman Begins, I liked when they're explaining the, like the different bits of the suit, but there was no real. Uh, trial and error with it it all seemed to go well first time around so there was no resistance in the plot if that makes sense like, like i would have loved a bit more resistance yeah that that batman begins is, is just as good as it is it bugs me because it doesn't ever feel like batman earns being batman he yeah. uh he, he he wants to know how to fight crime so liam neeson says here's how to fight crime and then he goes to uh <laughs> He goes to Morgan Freeman and says, I need a bat suit and a Batmobile. And Morgan Freeman goes, oh, you know what? It's dead lucky you said that because I've actually just got a bat suit and a Batmobile just here. There you go, mate. And he goes, cheers. <laughs> I'm Batman just, just now. <laughs> yeah, just, totally there's, right. There's no, there's no hero's journey. There's nothing earned. Yeah, I mean, apart from his parents being shot, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally spot on. Um, so, yeah, he basically goes over back to Af well it apparently it is afghanistan <laughs> according to this okay he puts on new armor goes to afghanistan where he saves the villagers uh but i i love this scene because there's a bit where they all grab the villagers and he do they, they do the shot they go they pan right down to his hip with his hands at his side flexing the fingers and i'm going this is a western they're <laughs> doing a western <laughs> right now and i love that as i absolutely uh, loved that, and then it goes into a bit, in, a bit insane where he blows up a tank uh, when he tries to fly away. The tank shoots him down, and he shoots it, turns around, starts walking back. Boom! Tank blows up behind him. So he does all that. 
he does the good thing by throwing the leader of the terrorists back to the uh, villagers and goes, you deal with them or whatever. I forgot the line is. Um, he's yours, I think. And let's be clear, he knows what that means. He knows that what's going to happen is they're going to murder him very horribly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you and, what. And Tony, Tony Stark's fine with that. Yeah. And, and that's, that shows you who he is. He's doing it, but he's doing it in a badass way you can get on board with. That's the point. He, but, he, yeah. he is, you know, genuinely, of, of, the, of the crop of, of Marvel superheroes, the classic mm. ones, especially the early ones, there are very yeah. few where, if you were to present me with a storyline where Spider-Man killed somebody or let someone die intentionally, <laughs> that's yeah. beyond stupid. And it's yeah. the same with like uh, with, with quite a lot of them, you know, Captain America, most of the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, but Tony Stark. I go, yeah, you know, like right from the get go, he's not he's not kind of the same hero as anyone else, is he? He's kind no, he's, of okay with murder. He his morality wavers on places, like he, but he knows where he's going. He's like he's like on a different plane to everybody else in terms of morality. He's not good. He's not bad. He's just he sees opportunity sometimes and constructs things. I think, things I think he, I think he definitely is good, but I mm. think he does believe that in some instances the the ends do justify the means, which oh, yeah. is a, 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 quite opposed to like a Batman character or or some you know Spider Man for instance. Oh, totally, totally. But I like that. It gives him an edge to because I, I, I know that a lot of superheroes are bound by a strict code of conduct or you know set of morals, and it's nice to like, like in that instance, just go, you know what? Here you go, rip them apart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that because it, it's kind of like because when you watch things like that, you're going, no, 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 let him, let them murder him because he's a terrible person. Don't spare him. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm angry. I don't know. Well, what see for comic book fans, we had a different perspective because we lived mm. through the '80s and early '90s, where every character became grim and gritty, and started ah, to yes. be very violent. And when you know the Punisher, what if every character was a bit like the Punisher? And <laughs> if you're if you're my age, you got sick of it, and you're mm. you. We're very pleased when things went back to, no, 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 no. It's better if there's a few characters like that, but if most of them are heroes and try to save everyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think but the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, was great at pulling superhero movies away from dark and gritty and realistic like Batman did. I think they did a great job of getting it right back on to make it feel like a comic again. Yeah, yeah, slightly more realistic yeah. comic, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I mean. It's like uh, big, loud noises and colours and stuff. You know, we like that. It's good. Not, uh, not, not uh, brooding over things. But yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. After all that, um, where, where was I reading from the synopsis? So uh, he's he, just, uh, he's just liberated the village, hasn't he? The, the city. He just liberated the village. He's flying. Yeah, he's flying back, and then these two U.S. jets uh, are attacking him, and he's like on the phone to his mate at the same time, Rhodes. He's, he's phoning him. And Rhodes is in the same room. They're talking to the Jets in. So it's kind of like, I can't talk to you right now, which is quite funny. So basically, he reveals a secret identity uh, to him, saying, that's me, basically. So <laughs> after that, the Ten Rings gather pieces of Stark's prototype suit and meet with Stain, 
who has been trafficking uh, arms to criminals worldwide and has staged a coup to replace Stark as Stark Industries CEO by hiring the ten rings to kill him. We should perhaps uh, yeah. touch on touch on uh, yeah. James Rhodes for a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. But he's he's a really important figure. Um, he again didn't arrive until uh 79 the very end of the 70s um mm. and didn't really start to get much traction until the 80s mm. um where he first becomes the replacement iron man and oh, then right. later yeah he, he so so in that storyline i talked about where stain takes over and, yeah. and tony becomes a beggar he leaves the role of iron man to um to roadie uh, and then after that, when 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 Stark comes back, he he builds him another set of armor, the the, the War Machine armor. Um, but he's such like he, he becomes such an intrinsic part of the Tony Stark and the Iron Man story that subsequent kind of retcons and retellings of the story um, place him right back at the um, when when Tony escapes from captivity in. What did we say it was called? Cyan Kong. Um, so he's now right there. When Tony kind of goes into the jungle to escape, he encounters Rhodey, and Rhodey's part of the team that rescue him. And they kind of they've retconned those two characters' lives to be intertwined right from the very very start. Um, and he's kind of seen as the yeah the most his most trusted his most trusted uh, companion and friend and the person that is you know. Almost, almost as equal when, it, especially when it comes to um, flying the suit and doing the, the fighting bits. Oh yeah, he's he's. I mean, when 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 he gets when he gets a war machine, okay, it's a little bit. He's a little bit ropey at first, but he's really good at it. He's he's played by a different uh, actor as well uh, in this one, and then got replaced. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. all sorts of talk about that being uh, uh, pay issues or something like that, yeah. that, that being difficult to work with. It's hard to know who's to believe. That is a say. I, I will say one thing though. Just while we're while we're on about the actors who, who were in the film, uh, Jeff Bridges as uh, Obi. Oh, God. <laughs> he's amazing. I, right? I, it's good, but I am a I am a, a ordained uh, ordained priest of the Church of the Latter Day Saints. Latter Day dude, sorry, Latter Day dudes. And all right. I can hear is Big Lebowski in the suit. He's like, hey man. <laughs> he's like. Like that's your opinion, man. All this. Every time he speaks, any time, all I can hear is Big Lebowski. Well, I think that's just more to do with you overdosing on Big Lebowski and not really yeah. consuming more of Jeff's wonderful work. What, what, what wonderful oeuvre! <laughs> There's definitely yeah, a point I, I, where he he gave up on sounding on like anything else. He just got okay. locked into that uh, cowboy drawl. Because he never used yeah. to sound like that outside of movies. Never. He just made a decision one day of, this is how I will talk forever. <laughs> I need to watch uh, True Grit at some point. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, and I love anyway. Coen Brothers films. Anyway, we're not going to go towards Coen Brothers. We haven't got another time. Podcast. We haven't got time, I know. Anyway, so, back to the story. Uh, so, we... Let's see. So after the so the, meanwhile, the Ten Rings gather a piece of Stark's prototype suit and meet with Stain, who has been trafficking arms to criminals worldwide and stage crew to replace Stark as Stark Industry CEO by hiring the Ten Rings to kill him. He's so kind of mirroring, Raza. kind yeah. of mirroring that, that 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 story we talked about from the eighties. Stain mm. Stain's plan is to use villains to kill off Tony, 
and to and to replace him and to take over the whole country. So they they've taken one of the most classic stories. This is a thing that that all man, all comic book movies do this. They have a intrinsic need to insert one of the classic villains right there in the hero's origin. They have yeah. to do it. It has to be right. Look at Batman. They, whether it's the Keaton movie or the latest Joker thing, they mm. have to. They, they're on a desperate mission to tie one of the classic villains into the origin. It has to be a whole part of it. Like whether it's Mandarin's attachment to the Ten Rings here or Stain being right up there with it. They can't. They they they, they really can't. I suppose it's it's for efficiency. You've got one movie. It maybe is a lot to do the origin and then a separate introduction of a villain. You know, the Fantastic Four movies seem to always stick Doctor Doom in at the start when they get all their powers. And, yeah. you know, the, the, you have to kind of attach Red Skull to whatever way they use to create Captain America. There's always a, a big push to do that. And I, I guess it has got to be uh, time constraints, really, and efficiency of storytelling. I, I like what they did with the Dark Knight trilogy, where they went, "We're going to save the Joker for the next one. We'll do other things in the meantime." <laughs> that was, I like that. It's it, it's put the focus entirely on the uh, uh, protagonist. But anyway, so yeah, you're right. There is a lot going on with that. So Stain subdues Raza and the rest of his group, and it, it has the rest of the group killed basically. So then Stain has, well, hey, the massive new suit reversed, engineered from the wreckage. And seeking to track his company's illegal shipments, uh, Stark sends Potts to hack into this database, and she discovers that Stain hired companies, sorry, Stain hired the uh, Ten Rings to kill Stark. But the group we haven't, aged we when haven't, realized we haven't talked about Pepper yet. Um, yeah, we haven't, have we? What, what's, she, the, what's there to say about Pepper Potts? Um, she's really important uh, throughout. Mm. Um, so she is part of this big love triangle with um, Tony and, and Happy Hogan, who I don't think he's in this movie. He is. He is. Happy Hogan. He is. By... Yeah, John he is. Favreau? He, he, uh, is he in it? John okay. Favreau. He was just quickly uh, near the beginning. He races into the plane. He does more in the in the second one, doesn't he? But uh, yeah. Happy, Happy Hogan and Pepper are like the, the other two parts. Every Iron Man, early Iron Man issue, it's Tony, Happy and Pepper. Happy Hogan is the yeah. chauffeur and kind of uh, downtrodden sort of best mate of Tony Stark. Mm. And uh, Pepper Potts is just a secretary. It's just a, you know, it's the 60s. There's not a huge amount of advancement she can look forward to. And right yeah. from the start, she, Happy keeps trying to get on with Pepper. And Pepper keeps shooting him down and openly saying to him, I'm saving myself for Tony Stark. It's a real madman situation with the secretary yeah. and the boss, right? That's that's what it is. That love affair, and 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 Tony uh, reciprocates in his head, but he's got shrapnel moving towards his heart, and he has to keep plugging himself into the electric shaver socket so he can't ever be with her. And his his intention every issue is to push her off on Happy Hogan. Because he's like, that's he's a decent guy. He can he can be your husband. That'll oh. that'll be how that works out. Oh, um, yeah. And the the what you get in this movie is this wonderful, playful bickering and bantering, right, between Paltrow and, and Downey Jr. It is oh, it's, it's so good. To the yeah. extent that you you would, I, I came out of that thinking I would happily watch a rom romantic comedy that had nothing to do with Iron Man, which is those two 
sniping and bickering and 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 sparking because it was it was phenomenal right now in the comics the, the bickering and and the kind of sparking is all between pepper and happy um but after this movie there's a distinct change they uh, in the comics pepper marries happy hogan and they go off for a bit because in by the time you get into the 80s they're kind of boring and you know <laughs> comics the yeah. comics need to be a lot more shooting and going into space and time travel um so once this movie came out they really really changed um how pepper was presented in the comics happy hogan her husband gets killed off and then never spoken about again a real mm. uh, armin tamazarian moment <laughs> And um, oh, the <laughs> it really is. It really is. I think at his funeral they say, and we'll never speak of him again on pain of torture. Um, oh God! And, and and Pepper becomes like obviously she's, it's, it's a modern world, so she's not a secretary anymore. She's essentially running Stark Industries while Tony is off, you know, with the Avengers fighting Thanos and stuff. Um, and the, that's in the comics. Then they start to introduce the idea that Pepper and Tony bicker and snipe and there's this big sexual attraction and they both care about each other but he's a complete mess and she is a bit too strong to let herself be with a complete mess and they kind of replicate in the comics so this is kind of how the movies influenced the, the stories that went on to be told in, in in the in the colors so i think that's a really interesting um change and i think when paltrow did a phenomenal job and actually turned pepper Potts into a real asset to the comic book stories Oh, she did. I, I will say the bickering ramped up in the next film. The bickering yeah. was top notch. It was real, real swift, uh, swift in terms of uh, dialogue. And it, and it harkens back to a lot of those kind of like bringing up baby and um, his girl Friday, those kind of rapid fire patter between the female lead and the male lead and the sparks flying between them. But they kind of don't like each other to begin with. And not in that kind of cliched way that you get in all rom-coms now. I mean, in the early kind of black and white ones where the, 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 the dialogue's rapid fire and it's smart and it's witty and they, mm. you both know everything they say is about sex, but they can't say it. It's just uh, <laughs> brilliant, really exciting stuff. Oh, no, abs absolutely, absolutely. And uh, she's a valued... I love the fact she is the secretary, but becomes even more than that. Less like, say, uh, Money Penny and James Bond and more like... Uh, not exactly love interest, but like the assistant, like the, the you know, like the sidekick in some places yeah. almost. Yeah, she yeah. really steps up, and I really love that. So, yeah, back to the film. So, Potts meets with uh, agent Phil Coulson of S.H.I.E.L.D., an intelligence agency, to inform him of Stain's activities. So, Stain's act, uh, scientists cannot duplicate Stark's militarization arc reactor. So, Stain ambushes Stark at his home and takes one from his chest. Now, this bit I found very odd because he has that sonic device that he puts next to his ear. And it yeah. felt like something from Star Trek, the original Star Trek. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, Ooh, and suddenly he's like, Ugh. <laughs> it, was... it just yeah. felt like you could have done this six scenes ago. Yeah. You've got, if yeah. you've got a thing where you can press a button and incapacitate anyone you want, I mean... Why were you dancing around with the Ten Rings and all that? Exactly. Why I don't just know do why. That, that straight away? Yeah. There are a few plot holes in this film, but we forgive do, it. We just, forgive you, it. Use the Sonic thing and push him down the fucking stairs. I think jobs are good in there. <laughs> I mean, I don't really think right. you need elaborate plans of warmonger armour. He, he, he survived terrorists. 
He survived terrorists. On the toilet and drown him. Just. To... <laughs> I don't know. If I if I was going to try and kill someone who survived a terrorist attack, I'd be like, mm, do I roll these dice again? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think you could be right. It might be uh, the be what's he's the better part of valor preparation. Oh, proper planning and yeah, 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 proper planning and stuff. Yep, I we all know we all know the phrase. We all know the phrase. So yeah, that that is a bit odd. But he uses this time. He takes the um, arc reactor. He gets it. So he basically takes the arc reactor out of him. Uh, but Stark managed to get the original art reactor to replace it, like the one they put in case. What was it? The the inscription proof that Tony Stark has a heart. <laughs> yeah, that was a really great touch. That was a really nice touch. So basically, Potts and several Shield agents attempt to arrest Dane, but he puts on the suit and attacks them. And then uh, I, you know, obviously Tony Stark gets up, uh, puts on the suit, and fights them. But uh, Stane's suit, the what was this? The Iron Munger. Ironmonger is the name of the of the suit, and it's the name of kind of Ob Obadiah's kind of uh, alter ego. I, well, not alter ego really, but in the comics, yeah, he's known as Ironmonger. Um, mm. And and he says there's a line where he says it when they're talking about the arc reactor when Tony first comes back. Uh, Stain says to him, "We can't change what we do. Come on, Tony, we're Ironmongers, you and me." Yes, yes, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, which was just a nice way of getting that reference in without. A weird scene where he says, "I am the Iron Monger," and it sounds really hackneyed and cheesy and weird. Why would, why would anyone say that out loud? You know, so it was a neat, neat way of getting it in there. You can't do that in superhero movies anymore, unless it's actually their name. If they have an alternative name, it needs to be a proper route, a proper way of saying it. You can't yeah. announce There's, it. Either it's got to be a laugh. reason why they call him that. Like, like Spider-Man makes perfect sense. He. Yeah. He climbs the yeah. wall like a spider and he's got webs and he's a man. You go, that kind of Spider-Man. Batman. Well, oh, that weird Batman guy over there. That kind of, it makes sense that people would say that. It, but, makes, it Because all I can think of now, if, if a villain announces who they are, all I can think of is Professor Chaos from South Park. <laughs> That's all I can think now. I think it's got to that point. Well, that was, so, just becomes yeah. like Doctor Doom or something. Butler's base becomes Doctor Doom and he goes, Professor Chaos! And it's like... It's very of that ilk, but that's all I can think of now if, if a villain announces their name dramatically. So they have a fight. It's an epic fight. Uh, and there was one, I, I love the bit where he goes, have you figured out the freezing problem yet? That was so good. Because one of the trial and errors was him flying too high in the altitude where <laughs> it gets very cold and his suit froze over. See, that frustrated me because as soon as that yeah. happened at the start of the movie, I went, well, that's how he's going to beat the bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it just stuck out like a sore thumb, but that's just that's just me. What, what's what's is it? What's, what's the what's the uh, is it Chekhov's pistol? Is the, is yeah, the, uh, it wasn't term. even it wasn't even that though, was it? It was just it, it just some of these things feel. If you watch enough movies, you go, well, there's literally no reason for them to have said that unless it's going to be important later on. It's just, yep. it's very it's very it's a bit of a clunker, but yeah. No, no, totally, totally understand that. So that happens, they have a fight, uh, there's lots of uh, things blowing up, but then uh, Stark tells uh, Potts 
to overload the large arc reactor, powering the building, which releases a massive electrical surge that causes Stane and his armor to fall into the exploding reactor, killing him. So it's a very dramatic and overzealous way, but yeah, that's how the fight ends. It's a pretty standard uh, superhero fight, if I may say. Yeah, but it is, also, yeah. Yeah, what was his exit plan? What was Obadiah's exit plan? What kills Tony Stark after causing loads of damage with a suit he made? I mean, he's going to lose his job. Unless, Unless he's, you know, I don't, mad. I, I mean, I, no, I don't think so. Because when you're super, super... First of all, you could deny it was ever you in the suit. Okay, um, okay that's You could fair. be a terrorist. And then when you've got, like, tons and tons of money, you just cover everything up, don't you? Like, you just pay yeah. everyone off, bribe the judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but people, people are going to... Yeah, but people, people will really get back to you, and I think it would start the ball rolling later down the line. But anyway, I'm, I was overthinking of what uh, his exit plan was. But, yeah, he dies, and then uh, the next day, at a press conference, uh, Stark defies suggestions from S.H.I.E.L.D. and tells the world, I am Iron Man, which was a, was a nice way of ending it. Uh, yeah, so I think um, uh, we, we, we haven't mentioned S.H.I.E.L.D. or Coulson at all, which was uh, which we should have done. I really liked, I mean, Coulson's a, a movie character, he's not a comic book character, although yeah. he is now, they've added him in. They've created oh, a, a comic book kind of version. Um, I liked how much that uh, Shield. They didn't say Shield to begin with. They they repeatedly had him say the full name, and they they cast someone who plays very brown and bland and invisible, and he's reciting a very boring alphabet soup kind of name, like any yeah. of those other kind of alphabet organizations, and he's meant to kind of you know, be so bland. He, he blends into the background, which is great for a, a, you know, a secret spy organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it gave me a lot of thrill to see S.H.I.E.L.D. involved in the small part because they're such a rich and exciting part of the Marvel uh, Universe. Um, uh, Tony Stark, at some point in the comics, becomes the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. He runs the whole organization. Wow. That um, makes a lot of sense. Right, right after the Civil War storyline um he kind of takes over an awful lot of of uh kind of superhero management and espionage and all that kind of stuff um and it doesn't go well for him he has a terrible time of it really um but it's good because he's built weapons historically in the comics he builds weapons for shields almost as soon as shield are, are, are along he builds them flying cars the heli carrier i think is one of his designs um uh, the, the mandroid the mandroids ripped off the mandroids the mandroids my mandroid uh, <laughs> man, yeah mandroids are kind of like they're big gold basically crap Iron Man suits that shield agents wear oh wow um, but yes they must have been ripped off because he goes in anyway uh, he builds lots of stuff for them and then runs them so shield have shield are always tied in with Tony Stark in, in the comics um and revealing his his identity is uh, that's a re that's a very recent well not very recent it's two thousand it's, it's around two thousand and one two thousand and two um, that he, that he did that so it's not something that's been around for a long time but it makes yeah. sense so originally um, when Iron Man's on the scene and he's you can't hide him and he's always at Stark Industries that started to raise a few questions. So uh, Tony announces that Iron Man is his personal bodyguard. 
that's how they, they get around it to begin with. It's um, ah, that he, makes sense. He, he cops that he built, you know, I, I built and designed the armor. Of course I did. I'm a genius inventor and I build weapons. And I have, um, he was, his identity must remain secret, but my bodyguard wears the armor to protect Stark Industries and protect my life. And that's how they get away with the, um, the closeness and the secret identity for so, so long. Um, and then, yeah, some, sometime, sometime around uh, before Civil War or... 2000 and something or other one or two he reveals it to the public and it kind of makes sense but his identity be out there because he's like, like you said before he carries himself like a rock star doesn't he so it all blends in it speaks to a bit of a wider issue marvel comics are rooted in characters having secret identities or they were traditionally for a long long time and i find that a very exciting and interesting and captivating part of the stories especially someone like spider-man and it kind of bugs me that, that all the Marvel movies don't give a shit about that. <laughs> like, there's no such thing as secret identities. Thor doesn't have one. Iron Man doesn't have one. Hulk doesn't have one. Captain America doesn't have one. Like, they just... I mean, it, and this was the kind of the... just. A, it felt like it was telling the audience, yeah, we're not going to do that. That thing you... Th because the, one of the biggest, biggest jokes, public consciousness jokes about superheroes is... Well, Superman and Clark Kent, they look exactly the same. Everyone must be stupid. And I think Marvel really wanted to put their foot down and sort of say, essentially say, yeah, you're right, secret identities are dumb and we're not going to do them. I yeah, think that's kind like of a mistake. Broadly speaking, I think that's a mistake, but I can understand. They're trying to appeal to a very modern audience. I, I like it because it gets it gets rid of that that storyline of going oh no there's there's going to be danger of me being found out. I mean the only one that I really think that works in Marvel is Spider Man. I think Spider Man that works better. He's a lot. What more I just news. what I just heard is you say it's good because it it eliminates drama and suspense from the story. And I think that's, oh that's like tying your hands behind your back and and saying well what if there weren't more problems? What if our characters actually had less problems? I think that is what you want to do, isn't it, everyone? <laughs> Just have less. No. I, I make that typical problem. It like you know, get you get more imaginative with what problems they can come up against. Because I always see like, like there's always that scene in the superhero movie where it's like, oh no, he has to be in two places at once. Yes, that's drama, and it's, it's suspense, <laughs> and it's a problem. Oh. I want to see them overcome. Yes, but I've seen them do it over and over again. <laughs> Well, I, I tell you what, I don't think it lends... Interestingly, I think it lends itself to an episodic storytelling. It lends itself okay. to comic books. I don't think it kind of plays terribly well in a movie. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, honestly, Spider-Man comics, um, very especially Dan Slott's recent, like, 10-year glorious run on Amazing Spider-Man, he just plays that. It's so... There is a constant dilemma. There is a constant dilemma of... Peter having to choose between saving someone or, or exposing his identity. There is a constant yeah. dilemma of how can I get... It ruins so many relationships of his. It's brilliant. It's, it's, it's good to have that. But again, to your point, I think it is... It, it, it needs to be when you've got an episodic story that you're coming back for again and again rather than... You know, movies that are quite tightly packed and, and it's like one story that happens over like a day or so, isn't it? A couple of days... Uh, and I don't think you kind of get a huge amount out of it, really. Oh no, I, t I, t I totally agree with you there. It's it's just about finding that right that right balance. Yeah, um, 
There is a there is a post credit scene. I didn't see this originally, but I did watch it. I was like, oh, because I'm now in the habit of sticking around till after the credits. Um, of and then of course Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury visits Stark at home and tells him that he's not the only superhero in the world, and he wants to discuss the Avenger Initiative. I mean, how did you feel as a as a, you know what's going to happen? You know. You know what's going to happen next. How do you feel knowing the first Marvel movie like done under Marvel Studios, they talk about the Avenger Initiative? Ah, oh, like rock hard in the theatre. Like, <laughs> so, so deeply excited. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah, I was really, yeah. really... And don't forget, at the time, like, The Incredible Hulk was out the same month or the next month. Yeah. There was not like a year... You, you was like, I can't wait then to see what's going to happen next they're putting the team together um so it was really really exciting um and i i was again it felt like they are they are doing this properly they're trying yeah. to do this seriously they're doing something that no one's ever done before marvel were they're not the first people to do a shared universe but they are the first people to do it really well um, i totally agree totally agree I, and, and I mean, in the comics, and, and then so to attempt it in the movies um, is was 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 really exciting. Yeah, I think with the Avengers series, though, uh, I know we, we pretty much finished on Iron Man. Um, that, that is the film, basically. I think, though, my thoughts. Well, I just need to, we just it. need to tackle Nick Fury before we move on because we that's a big oh, yeah. layer. We can't skip. We can't skip over Nick. Um, well, I'm sure. There'll be more time to speak about him in the next one when he when he the next Iron Man. But yeah, let's let's get let's get let's start a bit on him now. I think we've got a lot in the next one. We've got Black Widow. We've got Hawkeye. We've got oh. a lot to cover in the next one. Let's just oh, God, have a quick a quick little thing about yeah. Nick Fury here. So Nick Fury is a World War Two character. Mm -hmm. He he uh, the the Howling Commandos, um, and in the comic books he's a white guy mm. uh, with 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 grey hair. He takes a version of the super soldier serum called the Infinity Formula or the Infinity Serum, which kind of slows his aging down but doesn't stop it. So when we get yeah. to him in the 60s and the 70s and stuff, he's kind of, yeah. So when uh, Marvel started a new line of comic books, Nick Fury has been white since day one. He's been a, mm. a soldier and a spy and like a kind of a cool James Bond spy. And now he's yeah. the, the runs S.H.I.E.L.D. Marvel launched a whole different brand of comic books in a, in a brand new kind of universe called Ultimate, the Ultimate Universe, the Ultimate Comics. Um, and they decided then, because one of their artists, Brian Hitch, was really good at drawing characters, really good at drawing kind of almost a realistic depiction of celebrities. So they said, well, what if we make Nick Fury black? And if we're going to make him black, why don't we make him Samuel L. Jackson? <sighs> So oh, in the Ultimate yeah. Universe, Ultimate Nick Fury is this shaved head, one-eyed Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson is a big comic book fan, and he was like, he saw it, and he was like, hey, that's really cool. I hope they they call me to play him when they make the movie. <laughs> and then that's exactly that's exactly what happens when they come to make the movie. Oh. They go, well, he doesn't he doesn't look like it in the traditional universe, which we call six one six, but in the Ultimate Universe, he looks like this guy. Sam's a big you know, a big fan, he's a big star, they reached out, they put it together. The problem with that is, you then have fans of the movies reading the comics and going, who's this white guy, why is he pretending to be Nick Fury? So, <laughs> and this is the second Armin Tanzarian reference of the episode, 
they pull a full-on Armin Tamazarian. They introduce Nick Fury's black son, poke his eye <laughs> out, shave his head, and then have the white Nick Fury say, I have to go into hiding forever. Your birth name is Nicholas Fury. Why don't you take over my job and no one will ever speak of this again? And that's how this they is, dealt with that. This is exactly what happens in Metal Gear Solid 5 and there's an eye patch involved in it. I feel they're ripping <laughs> that off. <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 5 does exactly that except with an arm off and uh, an eye patch. Just it is a son as well. No, 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 just some random soldier. But they convince random him soldier. he's... He's the best uh, soldier ever in the world and somehow lives up to it. I don't know why that happened. It's a mental story. So, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the black and white issue of Nick Fury. Uh, which brings us, wow. as you were about to say, to the end of Iron Man. To the end of Iron Man. Yep, that's, that is the end of Iron Man, which opens up the next film and the possibility, well, I'll say possibility, the, the uh, upcoming Avengers films. Yeah, you said that as if you don't know what's about to happen. <laughs> well, I've seen them yeah. all. <laughs> I've seen them all, but you're kind of like at, we're kind of being in the present moment by the time that happens. Oh, you know okay, what I mean? I like, okay. Yeah, in in the in the spirit of that, but yeah, that that is essentially Iron Man. Great film. So, final thoughts on 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 the movie and and on what you've what you've learned from the comics. I would say I like think when it comes to. Uh, not so much video game films, but comic films. Anything to do with geek culture with that kind of story. I like when they pay not so much fan service, but make the right nods. Make the right nods to let you know that yes, uh, there are you know there are references, there are hints that things can happen. But on, on on my side, I like the fact that it's just a good movie. I like the fact they've managed to take an idea that works as a comic and go, you know what, this could, this can work as a film. We won't we won't bugger it up. We won't um, it won't be Batman and Robin. <laughs> we'll make this. Huh. We'll make we'll make this work and. Considering it's Marvel Studios' first film, isn't it? It's their first film. Yeah. What what a solid first attempt at a film. What Absolutely. a solid attempt. All yeah. praise to John Favreau for getting it done. Oh yeah, John Favreau, fantastic. And what's what's your favourite bit of comic book trivia that you've learnt then from uh, from this from this episode one? I, I, there's there's too much, but the the only thing leaping up to mind is uh, Iron Man. Burning Vietnamese people and then putting on a hat and a big coat, walking away like no one's going to be suspicious of someone with a hat and coat in a jungle. Over a giant metal suit as well. Yeah, I, I, I think that no one drew that with a straight face. I like to think he's whistling as he walks away. Yes! Oh, yes! Who's burnt all those people? That's exactly how I'm imagining it. It's just, it, 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 I, I, I like it. I like the insanity of that. That's, 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 that's what's staying with me. So that brings to a close episode one of Marvel versus Marvel, where uh, a Marvel movies fan uh, goes to the movies and learns everything they can from a Marvel comic book fan about the comic books that inspired the movies that changed the cinematic world. Um, thank you for listening along. We hope you, you've learned it. Uh, get in touch. Let us know what was your favourite uh, comic book trivia. Um, what did you learn that you've never thought of before? Um, and don't forget to uh, watch along with us. Get yourself ready for episode two, where we'll be delving right into the Incredible Hulk and carrying on the MCU journey. So make sure you fire up that new Disney app and uh, or, or break out a DVD from uh, from wherever you've got them stored 
watch The Incredible Hulk to prepare yourself for episode two of Marvel vs. Marvel. Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston and our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash marvel vs. marvel for awesome bonus content. Thank you.